Today's sermon text comes from Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come to you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, And said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. I'm excited to keep going through the book of Acts. We just started our series all winter. We're going to be preaching through this book. Um, And the series is called The Church Empowered. So last week, if, if you weren't here, we just started the book and we started looking at a couple of the major themes that come out of this book. One theme is that Jesus is alive, and the second theme is that his Holy Spirit empowers the people of God. But that leads us, I hope, to a natural question. If the Holy Spirit empowers the people of God, what does he empower us for? And that brings us to the third theme of this book and what we're going to be talking about today. Um, The church is empowered for a mission. The church is empowered for a mission. The church is empowered for the mission of witnessing to the living Christ. And I I think we couldn't be coming to this at a more important time because as I look around at at our church, as I look around at, at the other churches in this city, as I look around at the state of the church in general, I think that one thing uh, Satan would really love to do here is to distract us from mission. He would love to distract us from the mission that the Spirit is empowering us to do. He wants the church to be distracted. He wants us as individuals to be distracted because he knows that if we were to truly live this way, if we were to truly live seeing people coming to faith, if we were seeing people's lives being redeemed and transformed, if we were seeing God at work in our own life, in the life of others, then that's all we'd ever want to do. So, today, I want to call us back a little bit. I want to bring our minds back to this awesome task that God has given us, this mission that we are called on. Uh, I want us to hopefully repent a little bit of some of our distractions. And I also want us to discover how uh, connecting with this mission will bring our lives a sense of of joy and, and power that we're really lacking. So this morning I got three quick points. Um, They are the distraction from the mission, the need for the mission, and the power behind the mission. The distraction from the mission, the need for the mission, and the power behind the mission. So let's start off um, with talking about some of the distractions from the mission. Uh, Verse 1 of our passage, it's Acts chapter 1 verse 6. If you got a Bible, open it up. We're going to look at it. If you don't have a Bible, Grab one of these paperback Bibles in your seat and take it home with you. We'd love for you, everybody to have a copy. That's our gift to you. Um, but Acts chapter 1, verse 6, it says, So, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, 
will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So for a little bit of uh, context, the disciples are standing around with Jesus, and these are his last moments on earth. And you might know the story. You're probably familiar with what's about to happen. But I want to remind you, these guys don't know what's going to happen. They, they have no idea what's coming. And so they are asking questions. Uh, and the question they ask is, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Um, it's a fair question. A lot of the prophecy in the Old Testament uh, talks about when the Spirit comes, the kingdom comes. Uh, and that's what Jesus just told us last week, right? That, that I'm going to send you the Spirit. I'm gonna, that you need to wait for the Spirit. Well, in, in the book of Joel... The prophet says, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Maybe you've heard that passage. But after that, it talks about that's the moment also when judgment comes. That's the moment when all the people of God are going to be gathered safely into the city of Jerusalem. So it makes sense that these disciples standing on this hillside would ask, is this the moment when you're going to take over? Is this the moment when you're going to restore the nation of Israel? But we also know from reading the Gospels and from knowing a little bit about Jesus that whenever he encounters this kind of expectation, he turns it on its head, right? Jesus admits throughout the Gospels that he is in fact the Messiah. He is the long-awaited king who has come but he's a king who doesn't conquer with the sword. He's a king who conquers through suffering and death. He says that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. At the end of his life, standing before Pilate, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. But the disciples, they still don't understand that message. They're still wrestling with it. They still have this political narrative in their head. Um, and you know, that's not unique to them. This uh, overly political understanding of what the kingdom means, or this vision of God's kingdom coming that is just much smaller than what God has in mind. In fact, I think today, in the church, God's people still make this same mistake all the time. Right? The disciples were not the last people to confuse political victories with the coming of the kingdom. Or let me, let me try to put this positively so you know what I'm talking about. Um, Christians, if you're a Christian, Christians, we, we should be passionate about the world that we live in. Because our world matters. The Christian hope is not this disembodied spiritual hope of harps and wings floating off in the clouds. That's not where our hope is. God cares about this place. It's not going to vanish. It's not going to disappear someday. But Jesus, uh, we see that the plan of Scripture is for a new heavens and a new earth, for the redemption of this place. So when Jesus tells us to pray, He says, pray, your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that means as Christians, we should fight to see God's will done on earth. We should fight for peace. We should speak out against injustice. 
We should be involved in politics. We should care about what's going on. We should love the poor. We should welcome the stranger. We should prevent abuse. We should protect the weak. Because that's God's will. We want his will to be done on earth just like it's done in heaven. However, God's will being done on earth is not the same thing as his kingdom coming. And that's what I want to point out here. When God's kingdom comes, here's what it looks like. Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21 verse 3. He says, And then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So the kingdom coming is bigger than just a political change. That's what I'm trying to point out here. It's bigger than just doing good things in society. And, and sometimes in history, even right now, the church gets confused about that. It's bigger than opening a soup kitchen or doing a coat drive, or picking up trash around the neighborhood. The kingdom of God, it's not just righteousness and justice and peace. It's not just moral excellence. But it is all of those things with God at the center. Do you understand the difference? It's all of those things with all of the world gathered around Jesus, worshiping him. Delighting in him, perfectly complete. So when the disciples ask this first question, they are, are showing this confusion that I think we still have. It's still in the church right now. It, it, it exists amongst liberals and conservatives. And it might be one of the biggest distractions we have from the real mission we're supposed to be on. And again, I want to be clear. I do not want to discourage anybody from activism. I don't want to discourage you from being interested in, in politics. If anything, we should be more interested, right? We should be the best citizens. The citizens of the kingdom of God should be the best citizens of the city of Boston. But we need to remember that our hope ultimately rests not in programs or politics, not in some way to advance Christian causes, but in bringing the world to know Christ himself. In leading people to Jesus so that they can bow before him and enter into his kingdom. So that's a little bit about the things that distract us from the mission. But let's talk about the need for this mission, okay? Um, a quick note, verse 7, it says... It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Um, Jesus says in verse 7, after they ask, are you going to bring the kingdom? He says, we are not going to know when he's coming back. And I just want you to know, there is nothing uh, uh, mysterious in that verse. It is a liter literal, it's just literal. There is a, and there is, for some reason, as clear as that can be, when Jesus says, you're not going to know when this happens, there is this long history of people throughout time who have decided that they know the date of Jesus' return. And they have been 
thoroughly embarrassed as a result, right? I mean, I, I know we got a lot of newer people to the city, but uh, you might remember not too long ago, 2011, Harold Camping did this very thing. Uh, that he, he looked in the Bible and he came up with the date that was going to be the end of the world. And around the city of Boston, there were all these billboards. There were cars driving through the streets with the, the end of the world posted on the side, May 21st, 2011, you know, and they were the link to their website so you could learn more. People believed this stuff. They invested, some people sold everything they had to pay towards this ad campaign. And in the end, of course... They lost everything. Now what's even crazier is the same guy did the same thing in 1994. He, he had already gotten it wrong. There's even a, there's a song about it. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard it. It's, like a, it's a bluegrass song, but he's like, I've never been so sure. I've never led someone astray, except in the fall of 94. But hallelujah, the 21st of May. Jesus says it very plainly. We're not going to know. We don't know when he's coming back. So if you've got a friend that's like reading some book and telling you his theories, if he's like neck deep in some YouTube videos and he can tell you exactly when it's going to happen, I give you my full permission to read them this verse and tell them that your pastor says they're wasting their time. <laughs> Jesus says here, don't get distracted. Don't get distracted by, by your political ambitions and don't get distracted by worrying about times and dates and trying to unlock some secret code. Instead, here is your task. Verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Here's your task. Be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. I want you to hear that this morning. There is nothing more important. There is nothing more important than for the people of God to testify to Jesus. The world needs the church to be witnesses. It needs the people of God who can declare the good news of who Jesus is and what He has done to bring salvation. The world needs the church to be witnesses. I can't overstate it. I can't overstate the urgency behind this commandment. It is so important that the living God chose this to be His final words on earth. Think about that. Try and get your mind around that. Jesus, when he was on earth, the teachings of Jesus transformed the world. Think of all the things that he taught, all the things that he said. This moment, this last moment on earth, he could have used this moment to punctuate, to underline, to say, hey, remember when I said this? This is the most important thing, right? He could have said, love your neighbor as yourself. He could have said, blessed are the poor in spirit. He could have reminded them, I am the good shepherd. Or he could have said, I, I go to prepare a place for you. But instead, he left us with a mission. Be my witnesses. That's Jesus' departing command. 
Because the gospel message is what the world needs more than anything else. The gospel message is the most important thing, and yet the church is constantly pulled away from it, right? The church is constantly pulled away from this mission of being witnesses. The world needs to hear the gospel, but you know what happens, right? People hear the gospel. They come to faith. They get into the church, and the church grows, and then all of a sudden, the church has a lot of things it needs to do. Discipleship, groups, meetings, gatherings, and all of a sudden, we get pulled away from this mission. The world needs to know that no one can come to the Father except through Jesus. But as sinners come into the church and as we start hanging out with each other, well, you know what happens, right? There's conflict. There's, there's sin. There's, there's a mess. There's division. And all that stuff takes our attention. Jesus, he gives us these final words because he knows that. He knows the pull is going to be inward. He knows that there is this natural inward gravity in the church and he wants us to fight against it because there is a tremendous need. The need's all around us. I need to make sure you, you hear that. The need is all around us. Today, right now, around us, literally, there is a tremendous need for people to hear the gospel. I was looking at some data and some statistics this week while I was preparing for the sermon, and uh, I found one study that was talking about how increasingly Christians do not think they need to be witnesses. One study said that Christians who were polled in the 1990s, 90% of them agreed with the statement, every Christian has a responsibility to share their faith. But when they redid this poll again this year, 64% of people agreed. So let me be as clear as possible. If you're one of those people, if you are a Christian... Jesus has called you to be a witness. Um, there's an academic journal called Missio Nexus, and it was reporting some uh, statistics. It said that 80% of the world's non-Christians still do not know a Christian. And unless you imagine that to mean, well, those statistics, that's just some people living on some far side of the world. It's not the case. Every year, Massachusetts and New Hampshire tie for dead last as the least religious place in America. Do you know that? That means here in this city where we live, there are fewer people who believe in God, who pray, who attend any kind of worship service, who would say that that. Uh, faith is an integral part of their life. There are less people here than any other part of our country. And maybe that, all that sounds like discouraging facts, but I actually, I, I wanted to encourage you because this is what it means. It means that if you're a Christian living here, it's easier for you to do this. <laughs> if you're a Christian living here, it's easier for you to be a witness than almost any place else in the country. You don't have to go very far. Now, I would actually love it if some of you do go very far. I would, I would, it would be awesome if, if anybody here feels like God's calling them to, to become a missionary somewhere. We would, we would celebrate that. Um, but the message here is that 
The world needs people to go, to be witnesses both near and far in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There's a great need everywhere. So what's it going to take for us to do anything about it? What's it going to take for us to actually become witnesses? To pull ourselves out of all of these distractions? To pull ourselves away from our self-concern? What's it going to take for us to turn away from the inward-facing pull of the church and actually engage in this mission? Well, here's my main point. There's a power behind the mission. Verse 9, it says, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go. I, I really like this last scene. To me, it's kind of funny, right? These guys, they have just been told to go be witnesses to the ends of the earth, and they're just standing there staring. Right? They're just looking up into heaven. They're looking up into heaven so long that, that angels come and they bump into them and they say, what are you guys looking at? What are you doing? There's this sense of, of irony behind it all, right? That, that Jesus, he wants them to go to the ends of the earth, but they're just standing around. But you know it doesn't take long, right? We're going to get there next week. We're going to talk about Pentecost. We're going to talk about what happens. We're going to see that, that there is this power on the way. Now that Jesus has ascended into heaven, his physical absence makes, makes way for the Holy Spirit being poured out and once that happens, once that power is unleashed, there's really nothing that can stop these guys. Think about it. Take a moment. Consider what took place here. In the years that, that followed this moment, it's kind of staggering to recognize what the Lord accomplished. Uh, Michael Green, in his book, 30 years that changed history. He wrote this. He said, In the three decades following the ascension, a new movement was born. In those 30 years, Christianity got sufficient growth incredibly, uh, and credibility to become the largest religion the world has ever seen. To change the lives of hundreds of millions of people. It has spread into every corner of the globe and it now has no more than 2 billion adherents. It has had an incredible impact on civilization, on culture, on education, on medicine, on freedom, and of course, on the lives of countless people worldwide. And it all began with a dozen men and a handful of women. And then the Spirit came. Can you imagine these 11 guys, these blue-collar guys, Standing, with their mouths hanging open, looking up at the sky. And now think about two billion Christians worshiping around the world today. This day. There's no denying 
that what took place between those two points was way beyond those guys' ability, right? Those, those guys could have never done that. And that's kind of the point. They didn't do it. The Holy Spirit is the power behind the mission of God. There is this great need all around us. But, but if you think that my point today is just to make you feel guilty about it, if you think my point is just to say, you know, get off your butts and go do some evangelism, well, I'm not, I'm not communicating this well. I'm not telling you what Scripture says because what it tells us is that Christ has poured out all the power necessary to reach the world. His mission will be accomplished. His Spirit is the one who saves people. He is not relying on your power. That's what I'm trying to say. He is not relying on your power. He is giving you His power. That's a pretty amazing thing. It's an incredible gift if you believe it. It means that in the Christian faith, we have been given the gift of this God who, who doesn't need us at all, and yet who has invited us to take part in this joyful mission of telling people this amazing salvation news that they want to hear, that they need to hear. And that he is going to accomplish the task. He's going to do it. Do you, do you get that? He is inviting you to bring good news. Joy-producing news to, to people. And, and, and that he's going to save 100% of his people along the way. I mean, it's like, when we think about our task in evangelism, it's like those, those football games where the... the the winning team gets up by like three or four touchdowns and they put the second string guys in, right? And then for the next half of the game, they, they play and they have this guaranteed victory, right? They get to enjoy all the, the pleasure of this, this major victory and they really didn't have to do any work to earn it. That's our task in evangelism. We get to go along for this ride. I've been thinking about that a lot this week because I know... In reality, we are all coming here with busy lives, right? Each one of you, I know, has something going on. There are, are plenty of, of pressures, lots of stress. Some of you are, are busy with a job that seems to take every waking moment of your life. Some of you have kids that are, are pulling away uh, every ounce of your energy. Some of us are struggling with health issues. Some of us have social anxiety. I think everybody, though, any of us, even, even me, when, when I hear a pastor rattling off a bunch of statistics, I just feel guilty. I just feel burdened. I think that this is another task that I just don't have time for. It's another thing that I don't even know if I could do it anyway. I don't feel like I'm capable. I don't feel like I'm gifted enough. So, in this place, I want you to hear me say, I think the problem with our evangelism is not that we need more time. 
I think our problem is not that we need to, to schedule things better or to be more determined or to, to go to some evangelism training class to gain more skills. I think the problem is that we really just need to encounter the risen Jesus for ourselves. I think the problem with our, our witnessing to Jesus is that we just haven't seen Jesus lately. See, I think the reason we don't witness to Christ is because we actually don't believe he's all that great. I'm just, I'm just being honest. Because <laughs> here's something I know. I know that people naturally are hardwired to share good news. We just do it. Nobody has to tell you to share good news. If you see a good movie, you tell somebody, right? I just saw uh, in, Into the Spider-Verse this over the break. Guys, that was a great movie. You guys should all go see that. If you're not interested in a Spider-Man cartoon, I don't care. You should go see it. It's really good. We tell people. We have no problem telling people about a good movie. We have no problem. Chicken's 50% off at the grocery store. We tell people, right? We want people to know. Especially when we find somebody who has a need, right? We love to tell people good news that's going to meet their needs. Somebody's complaining that their back hurts. If you know like a good massage therapist, you're going to tell them. Your friend is having trouble with, with their, in their marriage, and you've maybe been to marriage counseling, you know a good counselor, of course, you're going to tell them. We naturally tell people. We naturally share good news. It's human nature. We like doing it. But with the gospel, it's different, right? Because I think deep down, if we're being honest, we are not convinced that Jesus is good news for the world. The promises, they aren't real to us. So when your coworker comes to you and he's sharing you how he feels hopeless, you don't think to tell him about the hope that you found in Jesus that morning. Or when your friend is disappointed that her husband is, is treating her in an unloving way, you don't think to tell her about the truly satisfying love that you've received from Jesus. We miss all these places where we could be witnesses because we aren't experiencing the power ourselves. So what's the solution to that problem, though? I mean, it sounds simple, but... But here, to be witnesses, you need something to witness to. You need to say, here's something that I know is true. Here's something that I have seen. And here's something that I have experienced. Here's something I'm sure of. To testify to the power of Jesus, you've got to receive his power. Regularly, not just once. You've got to receive Jesus' power in your own life before you can testify to it in front of anybody else. And so that means that the real power for evangelism is not some program. It's not uh, determining to go do it better this week. The, the key to evangelism is, is repentance and faith. We need to bring our sin to Jesus and experience his forgiveness. Not just the sin of not sharing the gospel. I'm talking about all of our sin. <laughs> we need to bring our lives to Jesus and experience his grace and his mercy. 
You need to do that daily. Sit in His presence. Open up His Word. Hear Him speak the truth to you. Speak words of of love and power in the midst of your weakness. His love has to become real. It needs to be as real as that good movie you just saw. So that when we see our neighbor, we aren't thinking, oh man, i gotta remember that, I got I to remember to share the gospel with, with her this week. i got to work up the nerve to, to tell her these facts today. But instead we're thinking, I have hope in Jesus today. He is everything to me. And I want everyone else to have that hope. That's what I think Jesus is saying here. That's what I think the point is when he says, you will receive my power and you will be my witnesses. See, when you're living in the power of the Spirit, you become a witness. You will say, I know the good news. I know the one who can give you the answers that you're seeking. He met me, and I want you to know him, and he will meet you too. So that's, that's my invitation to us this morning. That's my invitation to you today. It's pretty simple. It's the same one I always make, I think. Come and see Jesus. If you want to be a witness, first this morning, I want to invite you to look at your sin. Look at all of your shortcomings. Look at all of your failures. And then get to know your Savior who has taken them away on the cross, who invites you to salvation, who invites you to freedom, who has given you a hope, an eternal hope that cannot be shaken, who promises that He will never let you go, who tells you that He loves you, that you belong to Him, whose spirit is living in you and testifying to that truth right now. You belong to him. He loves you. Not because of what you do for him. Just because he loves you. Receive that. Receive that power. Receive the power of the gospel in your heart today. Believe it. Let it change you. Let it change you today. Let it change you tomorrow. Let it change you the next day. See your Savior. Experience His love. His mercy is new every morning. Receive the power. And then you will be His witnesses to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, I'm really grateful to look at this text And to realize that from these men staring at the sky up until now, you have built your church, uh, you have reached billions of people, and you didn't need me to do any of it. Um, I'm thankful that you don't need us to accomplish your mission. And yet I'm also deeply thankful, Lord, that you have invited us to be a part of it. And that of those billions of people that you've already reached, Lord, maybe the next person you want to reach is somebody that I know. Maybe it's somebody who that I can, I can uniquely share the good news with them. 
Father, I want to pray for the congregation here because I know that in every one of our lives, there are people that we love and we want them to know you. Whoever is on their minds right now, I I lift those names up to you. Father, I want to pray for anybody here who doesn't know you as their Savior, who feels the weight of their sin and the burden of it. God, I pray that today they would come to you and know you. Lord, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the joy of being a part of this victory, of getting to celebrate with you along the way. And I pray, Lord, that you would use us even more powerfully this week than you ever have before. Lord, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.